Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked and the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. It is nice to be sitting down and recording one of these in the week for the episode that it is in, if that makes sense. I had Abby for the last three weeks, and so I tried to get as ahead in the podcast as possible so that we could have more mommy and daughter time. I'm trying really hard to be aware of the time that I'm working and the time that I have her and trying not to work as much when I have her. So long story short, it's nice to be back and recording one of these in the same week as the episode coming out. And this episode is another episode about financial literacy. I got so many really wonderful comments and emails about the Amanda Arnold episode, uh, the one with all the debt, which was, I mean, just so incredible and inspiring. And so many people were reaching out and saying that it was a really great episode and they really connected with it. One of the things that's been in the back of my mind recently, probably like within the last year, especially with the popularity of the podcast and how it's grown, is that we're helping women and men every day realize that they're in bad situations, whether it be an MLM or another culty high demand group, and they're leaving or they're making the decision to leave and they're taking the steps to leave. And one of the biggest reasons that people stay stuck, and we all know this, is that sunk cost fallacy and that I'm in debt and I have to work it off before I get out. And a lot of people get stuck. They get bad financial advice and it's a vicious cycle. I know I was stuck in it for a while. And, you know, like Amanda Arnold's episode, you hear that kind of stuff. There's a lot of debt that accumulates. And uh, I think sometimes that's a really big barrier for people who want to leave these groups, even though they realize they're bad for them. So I started thinking like a year ago, I'm like, look, if I'm going to continue to educate people and help them see that these are scams and help them kind of decide without actually telling them to do it, to leave, then I also have to be willing to follow up with the what's next portion of the program. And I didn't want to just be leading a bunch of people off a cliff and saying, I don't know, just leave. They're bad. I wanted there to be something that kind of came after that. And and the financial literacy aspect was a big thing for me because it definitely helped me realize where I could be saving money and how I could save and how I could live a better life um, and make better decisions for myself. And because I saw myself doing it, I realized, you know what, this show is called Life After MLM, but it's about my life after MLM and what I've learned and sort of the, the barriers and the roadblocks that I come across. And, and financial literacy was a big one. I wanted to bring on a professional to talk about financial literacy and to talk about ways that we can implement this, whether we want to hire a professional or whether we want to do it on our own, because perspective is so important. If I only ever told one side of the story, I would be preaching to the choir. And so I want to get as many people and perspectives on the show to tell as many different stories and learn as many different things that maybe we don't know to start having conversations and maybe to flip a switch that makes us think, hmm, you know what? Maybe I should look into that. That's that's what the show is. For me, it is living and breathing and it evolves and changes as I evolve and change. 
And um, I'm so happy for those of you who are still here. I'm, it's wonderful. And for those of you that find me, it has been a journey. I know a lot of people dip out early because they don't know I have ADHD because I didn't know either. And I really appreciate um, all of you how, who have stuck through those more difficult episodes where I was like, oh, editing's the thing. I didn't know that. And are here now where it's a little more polished. We are in our third year. Uh, I don't go back and change those things because I know there are people out there who need the inspiration that, you know, like it does change. It does get better with work and with practice. You you get better at what you're doing. I'm a much better interviewer now. I know how to edit. I know how to stay on mute. I know how to let people finish their thoughts and not interrupt. Mostly I'm getting a lot better at that. Again, that's an ADHD thing that I struggle with every single day. But, you know, I just I just wanted to say thank you for the people that are here and the people that started at the beginning who are like, wait a second, what? You don't unless you really want to hear this, they're great stories. Nothing against the people in the stories. It's just they're not as polished. I was not a, quote, professional podcaster when I made those episodes. I wasn't even that well known in this niche. And so um, I keep it around as proof of my growth and proof that I did the hard thing and that I've improved. So again, this is such a, a long way to to thank everybody who has been here and who continues to support me and my ever-growing and learning journey in my life after MLM. I thank you that you come in and share your life after MLM with me as well. So again, I know I've said it like a thousand times, but this episode is about financial literacy. We're going to talk about being financially literate, how to talk to your children about money, how to set them up, how to get out of bad situations, whether or not bankruptcy is maybe an option for you. Maybe your credit score is really good and you don't even need to worry about that. So there are a lot of factors in trying to fix a fixable thing. And Shannon, who is fantastic, comes on and sort of breaks it down. I really appreciate her and her business who has been, who has been a sponsor of the show before. And I really just love creating professional relationships with people who see it and want to help too. You know what I mean? So if talking about money is a little triggering, that's okay. You can skip this one. You can come back to it. Or if you're going, oh my God, yes, I really need to listen to this. I think it's going to be really helpful. And I wanted to say thank you so much to our newest Patreon members, Abby O'Connor, and D.L. White. I really appreciate your support. Every single cent that is donated to the Patreon helps and goes back into making sure that this show runs smoothly and that there are new episodes every week. So I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. You guys, I'm... We're talking about heavy topics and we're talking about hard topics. I'm really <laughs> excited for this chat today because I have Shannon McLay, who is the founder and CEO of The Financial Gym. They have sponsored the podcast. You guys have heard it here before. So please welcome to the show, Shannon McLay. How are you? I am so fantastic. We had a little chat before we started this, and I know that many of your listeners will probably want to skip this episode. And I really hope they listen to it because I swear money is fun. Absolutely. And <laughs> even though you have sponsored the show, this is not technically a sponsored episode or anything like yeah. that. You just have this incredible company who has a very similar goal and understanding that the listeners of the show do. And it's just a really great partnership, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, I know that you are very well versed in the dangers and problematic aspects of MLM and have seen that even in your in your journey 
with the financial gym too. So we're going to talk all about that. Again, please don't skip this. If you can't handle it today, come back to it. We're not going to be Take a deep breath. (laughs) Yeah, take a deep breath. Go for a walk. Do the anti-anxiety things. Clench your fist. I promise you we will get through this and you'll be so glad you listened. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. I have tried really hard in since my divorce. I've had to become financially independent and literate all on my own again, starting over from ground zero. It was really scary. And it was something that uh, luckily I did have some help from friends and family to sort of get through it. But it is a really difficult time. And this is something that happens to people, whether you're going through a divorce, whether there's a big move, whether there's something that you weren't expecting, whether you got taken in an MLM and you're coming out of this financial fog going, oh my God, what happened? How did I get here? And how do I, how do I get out of this? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm really excited. You know, yeah. we talk about heavy stuff in, in a baby step way. So you guys, please, <laughs> if you're still listening, I'm so proud that you're still here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the biggest reason for me, I know, and we, we've talked about this, but, and you talked about this on the show, but the number one targeted person from an MLM is a woman, right? And only 23% of women are considered financially healthy, you know, and as a female and as a female founder, and as somebody who sees the challenges, this is my mission in life, right? This should not happen because 98% of nursing homes are women. So we're going to have to learn our money. We're going to have to be engaged with our finances. And the reality is, is that most of us don't want to because the majority of us feel some sort of financial anxiety that is common and typical. Even if we're doing well, we feel it. And so, you know, there's a lot of challenges, especially for women, but I want to talk through some of that and and help get people on the right path because the best thing I can say to all of your listeners today that we say all the time at the gym is everything you do financially is fixable. Money is not life or death. It is not. And we give it so much weight, especially as when we give so much weight to our money and our financial situation, but it's not permanent. It is a snapshot. It doesn't define us. They're just numbers and it's all fixable. It's just a matter of how much fixing we have to do. That's exactly the same thing with a bad haircut or a bad color. Yeah, like it's it'll grow out. I hear people come in, oh my gosh, look what I did. I said, it's fixable. It's everything is fixable. It's okay. You didn't do anything horrible. We can fix this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's why I hate seeing so many people carrying so much weight around their money. And we see it all the time at the gym when they come, it's just like their shoulders are by their ears. And it's like all this, this pressure we give it. And it's like, let it go. And I'm not dismissing the feelings or anything like that because they're real, but it's just, it's energy that's unwarranted. Honestly, that is always my biggest fear when doing anything like the fear of rejection and like my rejection sensitivity is like me showing up and being like, help me. And they're like, you're the one unfixable one. You're, like, you can't. <laughs> yeah. We, we get that all the time at the gym. We, I've been doing this now for 10 years and we get a lot of, am I the worst you've ever seen? Am I the, and, and is this even fixable? And first of all, I always tell people I haven't seen it. We haven't seen the worst because the worst, and it's not the worst, it's the people who aren't brave enough to deal with it. Right. And so they haven't come to us or, and so it's brave to work on your finance because it is so challenging, but, but being there and showing up and showing up for yourself, showing up for your family, showing up for your children, if you have it, um, and your loved ones, that is, it's brave and it's powerful and the rest is easy. We can help with the rest. 
Absolutely. It's showing up is the hardest part. And everybody mm-hmm. who's still listening, good job. You're showing <laughs> up. I'm going to ask you, Shannon, how do you define financial literacy and why is it important? So anybody who's listening right now, that's like, I don't even know what this means. Mm-hmm. So the here's the way I think about it. Financial literacy or personal finance, money, it's a language, right? So imagine the analogy I like to give, let's just call it Greek. So for this analogy, my team jokes, my love language is analogy. So you'll probably hear a bunch. So the way I think about it, let's just think about money slash financial literacy slash personal finance as Greek. And so it's a language we have to know. There's jargon, there's stuff around it, but we likely did not speak Greek at home because our parents likely did not speak Greek in their homes and don't feel highly confident in it and their choices and their money choices and their money education. So we didn't speak Greek at home. We likely didn't speak Greek in schools, although there's a number of states that are changing that requiring uh, personal finance education to be offered in the elementary, middle, or high school. But, But likely we did not learn about it at school and we likely didn't learn about it at the job. But when we start making money, when we get our first paycheck or whatever, our first sale, whatever we've done that creates some kind of financial, you know, situation, we now have to speak Greek, right? All of a sudden we get paid and now we've got to speak Greek and we've never done it. And so what happens is we start making choices and we do things because we have to, and we rent a place, we buy a car, we do all these things that we see we're supposed to do. We're speaking Greek, but we're not speaking Greek and we don't understand. And then at some point, the the poor Greek speaking starts to add up and then we feel like there's a problem. And and so it is a language. And, you know, what we tell people is it's just another language. It's not scary. It's not, but we do need to learn it because we have to speak it, it whether we like it or not. And the reality is most women don't want to speak Greek. We don't feel motivated by it. A lot of us aren't motivated by money and financial gains. We're interested in, you know, other areas of our life. So we're not as drawn to it. Like men typically are more comfortable or want to speak Greek. Uh, by the way, they don't necessarily speak it well, just because they're speaking it doesn't mean they know what they're saying. Right. So a lot of times you'll hear that and you're like, I don't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what he's saying either, by the way. And I saw that when I worked at Merrill Lynch, if they can't explain it to you, and if no one can explain a topic or a jargon or a term to you, that makes sense to you, then they don't understand it. Right. So that's that's one of the keys. And I tell people, if you're working with a financial advisor, you're working or your significant other does the, you know, the household finances or your dad did or whoever, if they can't explain it to you in a way that you really understand then I don't think they have a great grasp of it. And the reality is they don't, they're just better at faking it. And women aren't, we're not really unless it's maybe in the bedroom. Sometimes we're not really good at faking these things or we don't want to seem like we don't know something or whatever. And so we tend to avoid it. And then because other women don't really want to speak it, we're not like speaking in country, you know, we're not getting comfortable and having the conversation. So we tend to avoid it. We tend to find somebody else who feels more comfortable speaking it and we allow them to speak it for us. Instead, we need to learn it ourselves. We need to speak it ourselves and we need to feel really excited and empowered by it. Yeah. I can think back like being a teenager and having some money that was when my grandmother died, like I got an inheritance and my dad invested it. I believe it was in mutual funds because I do remember hearing mutual funds, <laughs> mutual funds. <laughs> but I didn't understand what they were. And I, I, I remember him like 
taking money out and putting money in and transferring things and the stock market's up and stock and being a kid and like not understanding, even though it was all around Mm -hmm. and it was very similar and to go to the MLM aspect, it was, I felt that same feeling when I joined an MLM and I was like, okay, what, how do I save for taxes? And where do I, how do I save for restock? And it was just a lot of people regurgitating big Mm -hmm. financial words, mutual funds all over again. I know my dad understood, but do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like just, yeah this platitudinous aspect of being like, well, just open up a bank account and save 20%. And I was like, okay, but why? <laughs> like I have yeah. ADHD. You need to tell me why I need to do it that way. And like, why that makes sense. Cause that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And there were so many pieces of advice my entire life that mm-hmm. like, were just little puzzles that didn't even go to the same yeah. puzzle. And little it's pieces. like, they just spoke Greek to you, right? Mutual funds is a Greek word, right? And you're like, uh-huh. I remember one time early on when I was a, as a Merrill Lynch financial advisor and I had this woman had $2 million invested. She had an advisor and I was saying something to her and it, I think we, I was saying something like large cap, small cap, mid cap. And she's like, can you stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? I've heard my guy say those terms. I've heard them before. And she's had this guy for years. She's a widow. And she's like, I've heard him say that, but I don't know what it means. And I was like, this guy's managing your money. You were literally paying him you might not be paying him like writing checks, but he's collecting money to manage your funds and you still don't know what he's saying. And she's like, yeah, I just go to the meeting. He says a bunch of things to me. I smile and nod and pretend like I'm taking notes, but I don't know what he's saying. So, you know, like, again, it's Greek, right? So I'm just like smiling and nodding. And then we get to the end of the meeting. He says, do you have any questions? And I look at him and I'm like, no, but, but I'm saying no, but I have no questions because I have no idea what he just said for the last hour of the meeting. Absolutely. And to me, this was like 10 years ago, I heard her say, no, actually at this point, it's probably like 13 years ago. And I was like, it broke my heart because I was like, this is your livelihood. This is your future. And you are confused and don't understand what's happening. And you have every right to sit in that meeting and make him say it and explain everything to you in a way that's understandable to you. And that's his job. You're not inconveniencing. If she was like, oh, I just felt like I was being dumb and he'd think I was dumb. Who the... Who the F cares? I don't know if I can curse here. Who the F cares? You're paying him. It's your money. And, and you're not dumb, by the way. Like I said, none of us got the, the language in it. We hear women come all the time say, I know I should be better at this. I know I should be better at my money. And our response is always like, why? Again, you didn't learn it. You didn't have an education. In it. You didn't have practice in it. Why should you be good in it? There, Honestly, nobody should be good in it. But we have to acknowledge that it's language. We have to understand that we have to get good at it at some point and then start seeking it out and speaking it. And, you know, one of the greatest things we have, we see at the gym is, you know, we get trust pilot reviews and all the stuff. When I see a specifically a woman say, I'm, I'm so excited to like, look at my accounts now. Like I was scared. I didn't want to open up um, my accounts. We, you know, I'm now I'm excited and empowered. That's exactly where we're wanting to take people. I love that. And, you know, I, I got a lot of financial education this past year. And honestly, I have to thank Bernie Madoff for it because I did a bonus episode on Bernie Madoff, right? Mm -hmm. So there were so many things that I was like, (laughs) what is that? And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I learned, I learned way more in two weeks of deep diving Bernie Madoff and his scams Mm -hmm. about financial literacy than I ever did from my parents yeah. from college, from high school, from anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now don't you feel like it's a, a language you just learned, right? And you're like, oh, now, now I'm I definitely know not fluent. Is. 
Yeah, no, not fluent, but I'm no, like, and I know what a mutual people, fund is. Yes. And most, most people don't have to be, by the way, let me, let me tell you what, I'm not asking anybody to become fluent in Greek and go live in, in country, right? That's, that's some people's financial job, but you need to know enough to get around conversationally. Um, and I say that because you need to know it so you don't get screwed, you know, and that you are looking out for, again, yourself, your family, your future. And, and that's a basic level of knowledge. I mean, for me, honestly, the reason why, one of the reasons why I, well, not why I started with the financial gym, but why I became a financial advisor to begin with, I had been working on trading floors in an investment banking career for 12 years and I had money saved up. And I was like talking to coworkers and the trading floors, like, what do you think I should do? They're like, put it in ETF. You should put an ETF. Talk about confusion that's similar to a mutual fund, but different. And I remember just like nodding and being like, yeah, I didn't know what an ETF was. Okay. So I go to my Fidelity site. I didn't even think to go to Google. I go to Fidelity. And by the way, an ETF is exchange traded funds. Does that explain it more? No. Right. So if you Google no. exchange trade, and sometimes what happens is the jargon is explained with more jargon and more jargon, you know, and you can go down this rabbit hole where you're like, I don't understand it because you use jargon to explain the jargon, you know? So, but anyway, it was exchange traded fund. And I just remember feeling so dumb and I'm, and I was like, I'm not dumb, but I don't know. And I, I don't want to ask because I feel like I've been here too long. I should know. Right? I think there's right. like a meme out there. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I wish I had a person like a financial advisor I could ask this to. So I started looking for financial advisors and I tell people in that process of looking around, I just became woke to the advisory space. Cause I was like 80% are men. And I always say there's nothing wrong with that. I married a man. I birthed a man. I love men, love them. But it just felt really unfair because they all looked and felt the same. And so I thought, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So I became a financial advisor. And what I tell people all the time, I because here's another analogy, I tell people becoming a financial advisor was like akin to Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. You know, it, it's like, I want to go see the wizard because the wizard is all powerful and knowing and has all the answers. And then you get to Oz and you realize it's just an old white guy behind a curtain trying to make you believe in miracles when you had the answer in you to begin with. That's like MLM, exactly the same way. Finance is the same way. <laughs> and and exactly just like MLMs, same. it's stacked against us, right? Because Absolutely. the wizard is keeping the, the words and the jargon and jargony, jargony us. And we're like, okay, but they're so smart. And then I get there and I'm like, none of these guys are smart. Like they're all just like repeating the same jargon and yeah. they don't even know what they're saying. I mean, I feel like a lot of these confusing industries are intentionally confusing yeah. on purpose. They know keep everybody compartmentalized. <laughs> like, yeah. I literally, we went through training sales and I'm sure, sure you went through sales training too. And we went through training and it was, I had to explain asset allocation and was like a role play situation. And, and I'll explain asset allocation in a second, but, but I, that was the term. Right. And I didn't know what asset allocation meant. Actually, my first day as an advisor, somebody was like, it's just all asset allocation and diversification these days. Right. And I was like, yeah, I had no idea what he said. I have no idea, right? So if anybody's listening, right. don't, don't have any idea what I said, I get you, right? So I learned what asset allocation is. So in this role play, here's what I say. I'm like, asset allocation, think about it as like a pie, right? So there's different pies that we make in life and each pie has different ingredients. So our retirement pie, let's call it apple. It's got, you know, and all pies have similar ingredients. So all of our asset allocation pies will have similar ingredients like flour and sugar and water, whatever. And then they'll be different. So retirement's apple pie. 
and our middle bucket, let's just call pecan pie. And, you know, our cash emergency savings is whatever, pumpkin lemon pie. meringue. There we go. Lemon meringue. I love it. So this is how I'm describing it. And I'm like, so each pie for each goal is different. So your asset allocation, your pie for every life goal should be different. So you shouldn't have a pie for retirement look like your lemon meringue pie. You should look, it should look like apple pie, you know, and different life goals and, and matching up. So here's, that's what I'm doing. It's making complete sense to me. I've, this is how I've explained to clients, they're getting it. And my quote mentor trainer at Merrill Lynch was like, yeah, you know, that like apple pie crap might work for like, you know, mom and dad, but like, it's not going to work for an experience, like in a whatever type person. And I was like, you know what, by the way, those like wealthy people need you to explain this to them and want to hear about pies. They don't want to hear about asset allocation. Yeah. I totally understood asset allocation when you were like, it's like pies. I was like, oh my gosh, of course I would never put <laughs> my retirement pie. Like I would not switch the pies or mix the pies up. These Right. Pies you need a different, different pie. Yeah. And what happens when people get upset and they're scared to invest, right? Because they're like, oh my God, this happened in 2008 with the, the stock market crash. People were like, oh my God, I can't retire. I, lo I quote lost all this money. The problem that happened was people had the wrong pie. So if you had all your money in the stock market and you were going to retire in the next month, that was the wrong pie. So it wasn't the market's fault that it dropped. It was your fault for, or your advisor's fault for having the wrong pie for the wrong situation. But the other thing I tell people too, though, is actually your retirement pie should look kind of crazy like that because most people are going to retire at 65, but they're not going to die at 67. They, they need that money. That pie needs to sustain them for the next 20 to 30 years. So it actually does need to keep looking like a different kind of pie, but that's a whole other story. But, but when people get nervous about investing, it's not that it's investing is challenging. And when you invest your money, it is a roller coaster. It is literally a roller coaster, but there's different roller coasters, just like there's different pies, there's different roller coasters and some are more extreme than others. And your more extreme roller coasters are for retirement, but you're buying home in the next two years or starting a business or whatever. That's going to be a less crazy roller coaster, and that won't look the same, um, and it won't be as scary. It's the easiest goal I could tell. The easy thing I tell people is just aligning, knowing where you want your money to be, because then it's very easy to invest it. If you know what pie or what roller coaster your money should be on, that's half the battle. But people have it all misaligned because they don't understand what they're doing, or somebody's telling them it should be this or it should be that. Right, like you would never bring a mince meat pie to the Fourth of July barbecue. So like be aware of what you need and what situation and bring the appropriate pie. <laughs> if we're going on with the pie analogy, the wrong pie, absolutely the wrong pie. Yeah, absolutely. the wrong. Yeah. Pie. And people get upset about the stock market, but it wasn't the stock market's fault. That's what right. it does. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. 
They send you regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the flow knit high rise boyfriend jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a Cotton Modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect, effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. So I have a question for you. In mm-hmm. your opinion, talking about, you know, financial concepts, what are the most important financial concepts that a regular person like me should be aware of? Just the basic stuff that we should yeah. know. Yeah. So uh, number one, especially for women is step one is acknowledging the the relationship you have with money and your finances. Why? If you're somebody who doesn't look at it, doesn't want to look at it. Um, why? And typically there's a lot of trauma. And so a lot of times we have, we have people who will join the financial gym and also get a therapist because sometimes our emotion, our financial um, habits are triggered by our, you know, past and trauma and emotions Absolutely, and it's real. And uh, you know, it's, it's very real. So before you can even kind of get into a financial health journey, it's like, just acknowledge and, and, you know, do the work to overcome it, which is usually like anxiety work. I've talked to a number of different financial therapists on my show, and they talk about the things you would do for anxiety. So move your body around and, you know, shake it up and deep breaths and that kind of work. Um, I suggest meditating for it. And then think about broadly what you want to do, hope, goals achieve in life um, because it's tied to money, but where do you want to go? If you're feeling stuck, if you feel like 
I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can't get out of it. You're in a cycle. You keep going back into forth into the cycle. Take a pause and say, what does breaking out of the cycle look like? Because if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're not alone. 67% of the population is. So I always say wow. it doesn't. Yeah. All the, I say the problems are the same. The zeros are different. We have people working, you know, making seven figures who don't have any money in their bank account. We have people, you know, making significantly less who could have millions saved. So it, it doesn't matter. And it's hard to tell. And this is a problem that financial health is hard to see. A lot of times we can see poor physical health in people, right? Um, financial health is difficult to see. And it, and the thing is, it looks different for everybody. So, you know, you can't just say, oh, I'm five foot five in this. So that should be me. Your own goals, your, your personal life is yours. And the problem we see people have is they make connections to money goals that don't speak to them. Right. So they're like, I want to pay off my student loan debt, or I want to pay off this credit card debt, or I want to save for retirement. I mean, those are great goals, right? That's fine. But is that why you get out of bed every day? Does that light you up? Does that get you excited to do a thing? probably not. Right. So then we're not going to do the thing, which is healthy money habits. Right. Cause it's like, well, that's not a goal that I feel excited about. So we try to help our clients align with like, what is going to get them excited? And it's usually travel or health and wellness or family or fur babies, or, you know, like let's align with those goals that maybe that's not what all these financial websites tell you should have, but we'll get to the other things. Like for a lot of people, we just have to start building the habits and start in a way that feels like, it's going to be sustainable and ongoing and you're going to want to keep doing it. So we, that's how we kind of start with people. So I'd say first is like acknowledge your relationship with money and finances, name it, feel it, kind of go through that work. Second, think about the life you want to live. If money was not a factor, because, you know, we have people, I think our average gym membership costs like a hundred dollars a month. And we have people say, you know, I can't do the hundred dollars a month. And I always say, Look, if $100 a month is going to make or break you, then you need to join our gym because nobody should live a life where $100 a month is like you're teetering on, you know, the edge of anything. Like it's probably because you've created systems or whatever that, you know, are difficult to overcome, or maybe you're not making enough money. You don't know how much money you could be making or should be making for the lifestyle you have. And we're going to tell you that. And we're going to tell you how to get it, how to negotiate for more or how to spend less, whatever the workout you need to get. But uh, identify emotions, name life goals, manifesting is very big. And then the third is let's get tactical and the things that we need to do and types of accounts we need to have. And at a very basic level, what we want people to do is have a checking account at a bank or a credit union, wherever that is, and have a savings account. And most people will say, I have a savings account. If your savings account is at, at your bank, it's not really a savings account. We want you to have what's called a high yield savings account. And here's where we get with jargon. People are like, what's high yield? A high yield means it pays you more. It pays you a higher interest rate. So, you know, if you're, let's just say your, your savings account at your bank is going to pay you, let's just say 0.05%. Right now you could get a high yield savings account for 4%. So Oh, Make wow. sure your money is in the right spots and understand when it makes sense, right? So we have people like, oh, I'm in a savings account and they could have money in a savings account, but it's earning nothing. And, you know, I always say we work really hard for every dollar that we make. So we want to make our money work hard for us. And there's different ways to invest and make our money work harder for us. And having that high yield savings account is is key. So that's kind of the building blocks. And then we start tackling the individual goals. Most people will say, 
they've got debt to repay or, or things like that. And they'll say, should I pay off debt or save? Those are some questions we get a lot. And we believe in doing both because, you know, we have some people who come in with a lot of credit card debt and, and let me tell you what, we're not scared of anything. Like we talked about earlier, like just come, we just want to meet you where you're at. We are not afraid of what you've got in there. So they'll have, you know, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 of credit card debt. And They'll be obsessed with paying it off. First of all, there's a lot of solutions around debt that we could help you work through, whether it's negotiating with your with your lenders. Maybe it maybe bankruptcy is a possible solution. And sometimes people hear bankruptcy and get all a lot of emotional energy around that. The way we think about bankruptcy around here, it's kind of like uh, lap band surgery. It's like, look, we can take all this weight off. We just want to make sure we have healthy habits going forward. And that's that's something I'd like to say that people too who are thinking about bankruptcy, it's actually a great solution to help. Yeah, you made mistakes. You didn't know. It's a great way to wipe the financial slate clean. The problem is, is that if you're not going to fix the underlying habits that maybe led to that, then you're going to be back in debt. And by the way, people are like, oh, if I file for bankruptcy, I won't get a credit card again. No, you actually will get it almost immediately after you file because the lenders know that you can't file again for another seven years. So they right. have you on the hook. They've, they've got you back and they want you back like an addict, you know, let's get, let's get them back. So, so we coach people through, it's like, look, let's, let's get rid of this, but let's develop different habits going forward. But the debt's all fixable and, and, you know, different fixes. So we like people to save and pay down debt and have like a balanced approach because we've seen over the years that people actually feel better when they have more money in the bank. So yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. You could have the same amount of debt, but when you have more money in the bank account, it's like, then you have choices for debt. Like you could pay some lump sums down, or you can, you know, improve your credit score in different ways. You could be more strategic or just like without a doubt clients who are like, you know, I just feel better. Like they come into us. I want to pay all this debt. And now they have the cash and they're like, no, I like seeing the cash. I feel better having the cash. And if you're going to have the cash saved, then we want it to be earning more. I mean, high yield seems to be the best way to, if you're just got money sitting around, might as well have it be working for you. I I love talking about this whole bankruptcy thing because I think there are people who are either coming out of an MLM or -hmm. are fresh out of an MLM going, I have a lot of debt. I don't know what to do. I don't have any income anymore because I left my MLM. Um, A lot of times we focus here on sharing the red flags and the education. And a lot of times that makes people open their eyes and they decide. I I don't ever want to say you need to quit or anything like that because- Mm -hmm. Things are very nuanced. But when people do decide to leave, there's a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. I spent too much. I have credit card debt. I was buying my bonus. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was already spending the bonus that I was getting that $500 bonus, or whatever was really only like a $200 bonus because I was spending 300. So a lot of times people come out, they have a lot of problems and they're wanting to do bankruptcy. And so you're talking about it being an option. I mean, if we could just expand a little bit right yeah. there for anybody listening yeah. who's like, man, I've been thinking for like the past couple months, should I file or should I not? What are some pros and cons? I know that you talked about lenders wanting to work with you because you can't yeah. file again, but what are some pros and cons of bankruptcy? There's different metrics for uh, whether or not you should. It's based on how much you make or your potential to make income and and how much that is part of your household costs and, and what have you. There's different factors and depending on the state you live in and there's different lawyers and different bankruptcy or the bankruptcy laws are different per state. So you would have to check, you know, with your state's specific. I tell people, you know, just reach out to a bankruptcy attorney to check and see if it's an option for you because they'll tell you, you know, they will 
and you don't, then that's not going to cost you anything to have a meeting with them to assess it. So if you're curious, if it's an option for you, then I encourage you to do that. And I can give you some bankruptcy attorneys that we work with at the gym. I can give you for your resources for the show notes for this episode and also debt settlement attorneys that we like, because also there's a lot of shady characters in this space. Yes, so, um, so I'll give you people we know and trust. And I send my friends and family to them, <laughs> reach out to them and ask them because I had a client who started a business. She wanted to pull all of her money from her 401k. And I said, no, we are going to put it on credit cards because we like you keep your 401k. And then we were weighing the thought of bankruptcy or the debt settlement. And we decided to not go with the bankruptcy because she would have to, she would lose her home in the way that the numbers worked out because she had the home. She could protect her retirement account, but the home would have to be considered. So she didn't want to deal with the home. So then now we're on the debt settlement conversation and, and debt settlement attorneys can also help you too. And, you know, most of these credit card companies are going to end up having to write off your debt at some point anyway, because you don't have a way to repay it. They're used to doing that. It's literally part of their practice to have debt settlement reserves. So it's not unusual for them. So if you can work out some kind of repayment plan, that's ideal. A lot of times people are so concerned. They're like, oh, my credit score, my credit score, this. If you have a, a significant amount of debt that you have a, a difficult time repaying, then your credit score is probably not that great anyway. And that's actually one of the metrics we look at for is bankruptcy a thing for you? If your credit score is in the five or six hundreds, it's already taken a hit and it's going to keep you know, you're, it's going to be really tough for you to overcome that anyway. Sometimes the clients have better credit scores. They might want to do more of the debt settlement to try to preserve that. But no matter what, even if it does impact your credit score, everything that happens will come off your credit report at some point, typically anywhere from seven to 10 years. So we've had people file for bankruptcy and at, literally at the seven year mark, it's off. It's like it never happened. No one can find it, nowhere to be seen, and you have a whole new life. I mean, it, it takes time. So you might as well, if, if that's what you're going to do, it's better to start as soon as possible because yeah. it's going to take several years for it to fall off. Yep. I had a friend who had to do that, who we were really young, probably like mm -hmm. 22, 23, and she had to file bankruptcy, complete mm -hmm. wipe. And within yeah. like three years, she was buying a house. She yeah. was, it was the best thing that she ever did. And she really just got to say, I'm sorry, I messed up and, and leave it behind. And has never had financial issues since is amazingly financially literate now. Yeah. Well, that's the thing for most of our, our, our clients and people who get in that it is, it, they learned a hard lesson. Right. And that's what we're, we're getting at is like, look, do we, we learned a lesson. It was a painful one and it's going to be painful to kind of get out of it in different ways, but, but you get this opportunity to file and take it, you know, it's not, I, the other thing too, I think probably people who are thinking about leaving an MLM or how do I get out and I've committed all this. I think there's a combination of, I don't know what to do financially. I've created a financial mess in this process. The other thing is I feel like a failure because I didn't, I didn't, you know, my business didn't grow. So my message to people, if you're one of these and, and maybe you have both emotions, right? First of all, you didn't fail at anything. You had the guts to try a thing, to put yourself out there, to start a business. You had all the right intentions and you learned so much. What I tell clients who, who, went into a business that didn't end the way they wanted to end. First of all, there's no such word as failure. It's a lesson. And you got a, a big lesson. I tell people, think about it as like paying for a college course, right? 
you just got a really expensive college course in business, what to do, what not to do. And you can apply all those lessons in other areas of your life in the next chapter. So it is not a failure. Take all that lesson and apply it. And then part two, the money, who the F cares about the money? Because we can fix that. You know, you put so much emotion, like we can fix it. Let's just fix it, move it on. And then, you know, again, learn the lesson and make different choices going forward. I, I love that. So in your experience for people listening, what are some of the most effective ways to motivate people to want to improve their financial literacy and control their finances? I, I was getting at it a little bit earlier, but goals, right? What gets you lit up, excited to get out of bed every day? The last three years have not been excited to get out of bed every day. What's getting us excited, right? And it might be really far off, right, from where you're sitting, right? Maybe and I, I, we make a lot of analogies, like said, the gym. So let's just say you want to, you know, climb this mountain. You're talking about hiking a mountain. We're not going to hike it in one day, right? But let's look at it. Let's look. Let's see the top clearly of where it is, and then start the workout plan of how we're going to like get there one step at a time and take rest days. And we might step back and might, you know, it's a whole journey to any life goal. It's going to take some time, but. But setting the destination is super important. And what happens is most of us don't have goals or quote financial destinations, right? We don't because we're living paycheck to paycheck. We're just struggling. We can't get out of our own way. And so that's why we feel lost, right? Because we don't have our destination. So let's set some destinations and, and you could start small and say, I just want to have enough, whatever it is like to get this tattoo. I can't tell you how many people we have a tattoo. I didn't realize tattoos are so expensive. Um, but if you, oh, like a, yeah. yeah, it's like two or $3,000. So, you know, we have clients. Who have, so it's like, great, let's set the tattoo fund. Let's that savings account that I told you to have the other key, name it tattoo fund, call it fur baby fund. If you want to go to Portugal, Portugal, get very specific about that destination, right? Cause that's where we're going to head. And once we know where we're heading and we commit to putting money in these accounts or like, you know, then now we're giving our money a home because every day we're making a financial decision every single day. When we get something on Grubhub, Seamless, Uber, whatever, like we're making choices. We're on Amazon, we're on whatever. We're making a financial choice because we don't have a destination. So none of it really makes sense. But now when we have the destinations, it's like, oh, I'm not going to do that because I've got a home for this money. None of us want to say no, especially when we're not feeling great, especially as women. It's like, we just want to, we want all the things, right? And so I always tell people, we're not saying no. It, we're not saying no to Grubhub or Seamless. We are saying no, but we're saying we're saying yes to that tattoo or yes to that fur baby. We're changing the decisioning because if we don't have a place for our money to go that's exciting and lights us up, then it goes everywhere and none of it's lighting us up. Uh, just anybody listening, like think about the money that's in your wallet that's just unaccounted for the cash, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you just took that $20 bill and like put it in your Portugal fund instead of being like, well, I'm just going to run through the drive through or I was or whatever you're spending it on. I mean, I, yeah, there's a little we privilege don't judge. in my we statement don't right judge. here. But yeah. do you know what I mean? Like it maybe yeah. it's going towards paying down a bill or maybe it's going towards a trip you want to take. And it's just sitting in your wallet. Like I, I could probably, I don't even know. That's probably embarrassing to, mm -hmm. to how much cash is just sitting doing nothing for me. It, whatever could be in your wallet is in your bank account. Right. Or, or maybe not in your bank account, right? Cause it's on the credit card, but that's what ends up happening. People will say all the time, I don't know where my money's going. I don't know where my money's going because they also don't want to look cause it's, it's, it's scary. It's Shannon. anxiety inducing to look at the account. I had years ago, had this woman come into the gym back when we had physical gyms open. 
she was all worked up. She had a lot of debt. It was something like $80,000 of credit card debt. And she sits down, she's like, I do not want to look at my credit score. And I was like, okay. And back when we had gym locations open up, people were like, what kind of place is that? I was like, our workout equipment is wine and Kleenex. Like that's what we go through a lot here. So she literally, she knew this. She literally pulls out a bottle of wine from her bag. She was like, <laughs> I've got the wine. Okay. I was like, well, we have, you save that for when you get home, we've got wine here. And I did, by the way, need the Kleenex for her. So anyway, she's like, I don't want to look at my credit score. I do not want to look at my credit score. I was like, okay. She had like a Peter Pan boyfriend spent all the money, ran up the credit cards, a whole, it was a whole thing. They had like a faux wedding. It was a whole, there was a whole story that came before this. Right. And the PS it ends with, she does not want to look at the credit score. So I was like, okay. So then I start getting more information from her and we're going through it. And I tell her, I was like, I think we're going to have to look at the credit score. And she was like, no. And I was like, here's the deal. I don't know whether or not to tell you to get a personal loan to just like take this credit card and just refinance it, like at a better interest rate or to file for bankruptcy. I need to know your credit score to know what path we need to go down. So she was like, fine, you could look it up, but I don't want to see it. And I was like, okay. So I'm literally there typing in her social security. I was like, what was your last employer? You know, all those questions like, and we get to it and I pull it up and I had to say it out loud to her. I was like, your credit card is a 740, which by the way, is very good to excellent. Right. Depending on which range. Yeah. And she's like, let out this huge thigh that was very dramatic and loud. And she's like, this is the first time I've breathed in years. Oh yeah. No, I totally took that breath with her just now. She yeah. That story. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my God, you had like, it's been sitting there. whatever it was it wasn't gonna kill her right it wasn't like I was opening a box and like a snake was gonna come out of it I was like it's literally just a number it It does feel it feels like a snake though it feels like a snake because then that snake bite is you looking at her and being like you're a lost cause get out of my gym yeah and that's what she thinks is gonna happen yeah and I'm like hey we've got a solution which by the way we were able to get her a personal loan she was paying $2,500 a month just in her minimum monthly payments for all that debt, but she was paying her, her monthly payments. So that's why I thought I was like, I think it's going to be okay, which let me tell you what, for anybody who's got that debt and you want to maintain your credit score, at least make the monthly payments, the minimum monthly payments, because that, that keeps your credit score up. At least you're paying something. So if you're really trying to maintain your credit, just pay the 20, whatever it is, try to at least maintain that because she was doing it, even though it was high. And that's why I was like, I think you're going to, your score is going to be better than I thought. It's when you stop paying that they get mad at you and your credit score drops. So she was paying $2,500 a month. We were able to get her a personal loan for $80,000 to consolidate all of the credit cards onto one payment. And and she was paying $2,500 and none of it was going down, right? She just still has the same amount of debt because it was just going to the interest. We were able to get her a personal loan for $1,200 a month, which is like, seems insane, but she was paying $2,500, right? So now she's going to pay $1,200 a month and we'll have it paid off in five years. Wow. Done. Gone. And not and- much scarier than what she was already doing. In fact, less scary because now she's cut her payment in half. She's mm-hmm. not having to worry about a ton of payments. It's one payment. It's all consolidated. Everything's yeah. now paid off. And yeah. she just has to pay off this one loan. And her credit score went up because when you do that and you lower your utilization rate on all those cards, boom, her car's credit score went to over 800 after that. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. Which yeah. So this is going to, I'm just going to segue this is incredible like to hear something like this. What is something because we don't really have a lot of kids that listen to the show. Maybe I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, all of us that are parents that have children yes. that are in 
public education or even private education that is not, I mean, you guys, it's intentional. They're not mm-hmm. teaching us this. Yeah. So what would you recommend for parents like us mm-hmm. to help promote financial literacy among our children and our young yes. people in our lives? So just like regular literacy, it has to happen in the home. Just like I was talking about Greek, right? You got to speak Greek at home. That's really important and preferably Greek without trauma. <laughs> Because a lot of times the stories that we're hearing and and sharing with our kids are usually some kind of traumatic experience around money. And that's what we're hearing with our clients at the gym. It's like the old world, like, don't be like me. Right. And you're hearing, you watch your parents fight over money. Yeah. I remember one story of a client. She's like, my parents were fighting like while we're at Disney World because we couldn't afford the trip. And we're like, did we have to go to Disney World? Like, I know. And I would have said no. So I I have a 17 year old son and I have been talking to him about money since he was five. And I tell people, start talking to them when they're young. And if you are not comfortable speaking Greek, then learn with your child, listen to podcasts together, watch YouTube videos together, learn it together, talk about it with each other. Maybe your kid will pick it up quicker than you. So let them explain it to you and, you know, and have a dialogue around it. And and then the dialogue changes as they age, right? So from five, five is a really good age. Sometimes four depends on the, if the kid's interested and you start in different ways, but it's really important from an early age. I always tell people, parents to create a an economic system for your kids that's going to mimic what they're going to have in their future life. So create a system where they can earn money, spend money and save money. Earning money could be chores, could be grades, could be whatever, you know, however they can have income coming in. And then they should be spending money if they want things. So I had this with my son, unless it's, you know, holiday, birthday, we pay for room, board, (laughs) clothes, you know, whatever. And that's it. And so if he wanted things, and cash is also a really great teacher for kids. He has this baggie that had cash in it that he from things. And he was really at five. He was really into Legos. And I was like, great. You can buy it. We go shopping. He'd buy Legos with his cash. At one point, he got to the point where he spent all of his money. Like he, he was going to buy a thing. And I told him, I was like, well, that's going to be everything. That's all your money. He's like, no, I want it. I was like, okay, great. I let him do it. A month or two later, he wanted something else. And I was like, remember, you spent all your money. And he had like a meltdown, right? Crying, right? And I was like, told you. But he had no idea what that meant, right? But now he felt the loss or felt the no money. And I didn't buy it for him. It saw him cry in the store. And I was like, this, you, you did it. Remember, we talked about it. And after that, my kid has never been without money. He's had more money than I know because he's like, okay, well, I get this and I get that. And then he started with the plan and and started to work it out. And then as that grew, I was like, okay, now it's time to start investing your money. We started talking about stocks and there's you know companies like Robinhood that can make it easier. Sometimes it has to be in the parent's name. I think it should be in the parent's name so you could see it. You typically can't because if they're under 18 anyway, but you know, I said, what kind of companies do you like? And he really liked Nike because he played soccer and he liked Dunkin' Donuts. So those were the two stocks we picked. And then one time we went to see, I was like early on when the Star Wars movies were coming out, the, the recent ones. And he's like, who makes the Star Wars? It was the first, when the first one came out, he's like, who makes these Star Wars movies? Because I think they're going to, it's going to be really good for the company. And I said, Disney does it. And he's like, I, th- I want to buy Disney stock. And so we ended up going to Disney, funnily enough, two years after that. And I was like, look, Will, you own this little piece of this little brick.
at the bathroom, you know, at Disney. I was like, that's what you represent. But he felt like a connection to it. And, you know, and then we started talking about that. Now, the older, now he's 17. Now we're talking about more budgets. He knows how much I make. He knows like what the rent is on the home. Like we're talking about college and stuff like that. And we're not, he knows the family budget. It's like, they're going to have to do this themselves. Like let them involved in it. But, but we make money such a taboo subject. And we're talking to our kids about birds and the bees. And we're talking to them about having, wearing a condom or whatever. We should talk about like the financial protections they need to have too. Absolutely. Abby is only 11, but she mm-hmm. has been obsessed with buying things pretty mm-hmm. much her whole life. And she's very, she has, we suspect also ADHD. So there's yeah. a lot of genetic driven Yep. impulsivity. And she has her own little purse. She has her own little wallet. She spent her own money on Amazon and bought mm-hmm. a budgeting wallet that has its own little zipper areas. Nice. And Love she fully, it. she's got like, she has a piggy bank that like counts the change as it goes in. So she knows how much is in there. She showed mm-hmm. me the other day. She's like, look at my savings jar. She's got like twenties, all kinds. Of, I was like, what is going yeah. on? But yeah. in those instances, she'll find something on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we share an Amazon account. So she's like, mom, Hey, can you check the cart? Can I get that? And I'll look. Mm-hmm. And if it's something clothes, school, whatever, I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll get this for you, but I'm not buying that stuffed animal you don't need or yeah. whatever. She knows that necessities I will take care of always mm-hmm. and extras. Like you said, yeah. unless holiday or whatever. And, and then I'm like, your birthday's coming up. Like, I'll just get yeah. that. And you can have it too. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she brings her money. She's got a little purse. She completely purchased all the Christmas presents for everybody. She budgeted everything out. She was yep. like, I'm gonna spend this much on everybody. Went to her school mm-hmm. at their little their little fair. Yep, the little I fair even I gave her a $20 yeah. donation so that she could add more people. She's like, Thanks, mom. And she she did it. She was so proud to know yeah. that the thing that she bought me, even for my birthday, she bought me like this really cool survival keychain that has like a whistle and a stabby and a pokey and a like an alarm and all that's this. a great gift you bought it for me for my birthday on amazon she's like mom don't look at the amazon account for two days okay okay so okay and that's what she got and she was like i bought that with my own money and she just came in and like dropped like 30 dollars, whatever she spent she's not so great at the tax and shipping aspect but yeah it's fine she drops the money and she goes here mom and she she bought it even though i told her mm-hmm. she didn't need to even though she didn't need to do it, she had so much pride that she had mm-hmm. earned that money she gets money for take we live on the top of a hill so she gets taking the trash down and back up on the week feeding yeah. the dogs feeding the chickens you know doing all these things she'll get a little five or a ten here or there and she saves it all she is so heartbroken when we go to target and she's like mom i didn't bring my purse <laughs> i'm like would you like a loan Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay. And so my friend actually told me this and because it happens to his child when, when they're out as well and they'll want to buy something, but they don't have the money to buy it. Mm-hmm. And so their dad will say, oh, sure. I'll give you the, the 20, 25% interest, like but, the credit card would right, charge you. every day that you don't pay me back, you owe me an extra dollar. Mm-hmm. So if you, yeah. if we get home and you give me that $20 bill, we're good. But yeah. if you wait until tomorrow, you owe me 21, 22, 23. And it's been really- welcome to Amex. Yeah. And I then was you like, welcome do to interest. Yeah. It's, it's been a, a really cool way for the kids to understand mm-hmm. and have pride. And then when her, when her money gets low, she's like, mom, what can I do around the house for chores? Yes. How can I earn some money? What can I do for you? I'm like those dishes. Yeah. Will's like, I'll sell my, my, my toys online. Yes. When they don't have it and they need it, they will find a way to make it happen. She saved a bunch of money, went on Amazon, <laughs> bought a huge like kit of like fidgets and toys and everything broke them up and resold them at school (laughs) but see that's what I love is like she's like 
there's a way to get there. Right? It's either you spending money, they either have to make more, or they spend less. It's just like they'll have to do in the real life. And people are like, you let him run through his money. And I'm, I'm coaching my boyfriend. He's got a son, he's 18 and he's watching his account just diminish. I was like, let him go to zero because you know what? It's better to go to zero now at five, six, seven, 18 or whatever, than at 25 when the stakes are much higher because they will remember it. Like we, unfortunately as human beings, the only way we really learn the best lessons is the most painful ones. And so if you can create and get your kid to have a painful lesson when they're home, you know, and it's not really that painful, that is a much better, much better gift to give them. And the other thing I want to say too, for parents and also because of college, because I've got my 17 year old, another big mistake that we see too, is like with education. It's, oh, you're going to school. Like we make it this emotional, like everybody should go to school or you should get the education, go to the school you want. Okay. First of all, before that, that conversation even happens around sophomore year, you should start talking to your kid about costs of schools. There's plenty of calculators out there. I tell parents, go through a calculator and say, Hey, if, if you want to go to this school and financing's going to be this and blah, 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 they'll show you how much your debt's going to be when you graduate. And they'll show you how much you need to make to pay off that debt. If you're going to go to school and be a social worker, then, you know, we need to look at, you're not going to be able to afford going to school. And, and sometimes parents want to be like, but I want them to have their things. If they're going to be, you know, limited and stuck with their student loan debt because of the choice they made when you can help them prevent it. I would say it's like, you know, fitness analogies. It's so much better to not eat the cheesecake, but Sometimes we eat the cheesecake and that's fine if you ate the cheesecake, but with college education, don't let your kid eat the freaking cheesecake. Okay. You're the parent. Don't let them go into a financial situation that is going to like sit with them for the next 25 years. It's a lot of cheesecake to work off. It's like, have the conversation just like you would have a reach, uh, middle and a safety school for academically, you should have the same financially and you should talk about it and talk about what it means for your kids. Because I mean, first of all, I don't even love school. I'd rather, I've told Will, I was like, I'd rather just give you like a hundred thousand dollars and start a business because you know more than I knew when I went to college anyway. Like I learned that, you know, I took a class about what, that we're brains in a vat. And I'm like, what's that doing for me now? So I don't love a college education, especially how expensive it's gotten. College education used to be like buying a car. Now it's buying a house. It's a much oh, bigger yeah. decision. And so for parents, I'm like, please. And the other thing I want to say to parents too, who, who might be listening to this, the other thing to think about is also, if you have the means to pay, do not, do not use all of your money and assets to pay for school. I always make the analogy. It's just like the airplane, like, you know, put on your mask first and then put your child's mask on. Um, because you can finance college. You cannot finance retirement, right. Let your kid take out the loans. You can always help them down the road. Maybe you get a home equity. Like there's other ways to help your kids. Plus I think your kids need to know how much it costs and feel like the pain and, you know, of, of having that, that payment and you're not taking care of it. You can take care of it down the road, but Who's taking care of you? And by the way, you can't plan on your kids taking care of you. I'm not planning on my son with ADHD <laughs> taking care of me and retirement. I don't want him to. That's not his job. But, um, you know, we see that happen too. People are like overfunding children's education accounts. Meanwhile, they've got credit card debt and, you know, they're barely taking care of themselves. And I'm like, that is not a, a path either. Yeah. I always say, don't set yourself on fire to keep others warm. Even, even if it's your kid in some instances, I mean, yeah. sometimes I'll set my arm on fire for my kid, but not my yeah. body, you know, right. you, you have to keep your own center. Yeah. If you are going into bankruptcy. So your kid doesn't go into bankruptcy. Yeah. 
it's not, how are it's not you a good lesson to, for either of you. Yeah. How do you yeah. remedy that within the next 20, 30 years to retire when your kid has twice that time? You know? Yeah. Like, no, we true. have to realize well, that well, we have to yeah. create financial stability and teach them too. And we, we can't do everything. I wish I could. No. I wish I was a millionaire and I could take care of everything, but I can't. No, we all have to make choices. So either educate them on the most cost-effective college path and all the things, you know, looking for all the ways out and the, the combination of the loans and like scholarship, like whatever way you can get it lower, but also, you know, be mindful of that. I think people are so much so enamored by school names and school experiences and oh, the cafeteria is so beautiful. I mean, come on. It's funny because I went to a private school. I would never, I told Will, he's not even allowed to apply there. Wake Forest is where I went to college in North Carolina. The cost of it, I was like, I never, I have a few good friends that I met there, but it does nothing for me in my adult life, the school. I'm a big fan of state schools, huge fan of state schools because first of all, they're cost effective and get a great education. Secondly, you have a huge network of people who went to the state school. So it's all about networking when you get out of college. It's all about who you know. And if you're going someplace, and especially if you're going to live in the state after you graduate, you're going to want more of those people around you than somewhere else, a private school where you know there's not that many people out there to help you. I, I love that advice. College is definitely not for everybody. I went to a trade school. I got my cosmetology license. It took me 10 months. Mm -hmm. And for the last 22 years, it has served me very well. Yeah. And college was fun, but it just, I realized very quickly that college was not for me and it was not the way that I learned. And honestly, all of my extra like learning that I've done, I find pleasure in reading a book and learning about yeah. history. Or I love to educate myself just because I find pleasure in it in the school system, there was no pleasure because it was like, you need to memorize this to take yeah. this test. And I was like, but what doesn't make any sense. One of the smartest people I know is my boyfriend. He didn't go to college. You know, it's like, and I, I, I had a intern like years ago at the gym. She was a second year college student. I would have hired her. She was that smart. It communicated well. Like I would have hired her. And I remember just feeling sad that she was going to go back to school for another two more years and pile up another $60,000 worth of debt because she could have had a job right away. And I tell people that too. I prefer no school, right? Especially with the cost, especially if you're not a student, you're not going to use that tool, that education in the way that it could be beneficial. There's so many courses online. There's so many ways you can get like different education. And I talk about this a lot because it's a huge soapbox I have because student loan debt is is insane. And literally 67% of graduates have it. And it's crippling. And I tell people how, and I talk about this, how is this going to change? How is this going to change? And it won't change until companies don't require a four-year education for hiring people. It's starting to change. Some companies are now starting to shift, but it's not until the companies tell the colleges you're worthless because the problem is the colleges are saying we're worth it. Student loan providers are providing the loans so you can go and pay too much for college. Like it's a circle jerk of a system that's working against us you know, eventually it'll change, but it's, if it's not going to provide you that much value, don't buy the home rent. Yeah. Let's circle back to MLM. I know that when we talked previously, uh, before we hit record, you had talked about seeing different MLM people come through. So let's talk about maybe some of those yeah. experiences of former MLMers or even current MLMers going through the financial gym and sort yeah. of what you've seen in this pattern and how, how people yeah. who are in that position could also maybe use your services or, or figure things yeah. out on their own. We've literally seen hundreds of MLMers through come through the gym. And I think I, I shared this with you offline, but because we talk about it as our trainer team of those hundreds of people, because we're seeing their finances, there's really only probably two 
that are doing it well and they're still doing it. So it just proves the whole. Right. I was like, that's like 1%. That's like 1%. Two out of several hundred is roughly 1%. Yeah. And so we're even seeing that Freakonomics. And even when you said, what was it? 76% of people? uh, Well, uh, the population has debt, but predominantly helped by women because credit cards. Like MLM is 75% women. There's just like very interesting Freakonomics that. that Oh yeah. Cause they're, they're targeted for, for all the reasons, certain communities are targeted um, and less financially healthy because of that, because they're preyed upon. Yeah. So we see that and we've actually coached a lot of people out of it because we're just showing them the numbers. And and so we have, again, we have two clients that we know that are still actively doing because they're, they're net making money. We could see it. And so we're like, okay, this is contributing in a financially healthy way. What we, what ends up happening, I'm sure you see this in MLMs is that it's very cloudy and it's hard to really decipher if you're making money or not because, oh, I paid here, but I made money seven months later, this per like, it's hard to directly see, oh, I paid this and I made this. And so net, net, I'm making money. It's very unclear for people. And so the work we're doing is we're helping them see that. And if you're making money and it makes sense, then great. But if you're continuing to get more and more into debt and it's hard to get out of it and you know, you're in this like vicious cycle of not really getting ahead, then we are coaching to get out and we hear a lot. Well, but invested all this money. I've put all this in and it's like, yes, you did. And like I said, you just got a great education, right? You just bought a course that you weren't expecting. You didn't see it like this, but that's what it is. And we got our education and now let's learn from it and let's stop. Once you see it, you know, don't hold on to like what was or what you hoped it would be. It's just like a bad relationship. It's like that person is never going to be who you think they are. So let's, let's get out of that relationship and it'll be much healthier for you down the road. Yeah. Even if you're making money in in an MLM, like a lot of times you're spending money to make that money. And so that net where you're like, I'm getting this big check. It's really not that much. And also there's MLMs where you do the work now and there's this like predication that these people that have bought this service have to continue to use the service for three to six months. And then you get paid once they've actually completed the service. And if they don't complete the service, then you don't get paid. So it is, it's very convoluted. They, yeah. They intentionally keep the cash flow very confusing, right? So you, you spend money going out, but the money coming in is intentionally not right away because then you could clearly see it, right? If it was like, if you could see it on the same credit cards or the same bank account statement or the same Venmo statement or whatever, because I, I would have clients like they're like oh but I have Venmo coming in or and I was like but how much did you how much went out oh I have to go back to bank statements to see that you know it's like it's hard to keep track of all of this because it, and it's supposed to be and you know it's like if you don't have a good bookkeeping system which most people don't and you're not getting coached on that because they don't want you to know how it's going and that's what we end up doing we end up creating this bookkeeping system for our clients to check it and then and then we're seeing we're like you know, it's not really. And I have one client who, who does it. It's mostly like essential oils and she's pretty much just breaking even, but she's obsessed with the essential oils and it's just kind of like working for her life. And I'm like, okay. And so we just stopped talking about the essential oils transactions on her account. And, and that's fine. If you like the product and you're like, that, it, intentional spending is fine. Like spending's not bad as long as it's intentional, but for most people, we're like, look, you're, you're losing money and you're continuing to lose money and, and you're wasting time and energy in this cycle. And 
we talked about this before, and I know you talked about this in the show. It's a lot of times it's triggered at like stay at home moms or like, you know, people, military family, like going into the workforce. And the best thing that's happened in the last three years, especially is there's so many more online jobs now, like virtual work is so much more common. There's even more of a no excuse to not get out of the MLM network, right? Because there's so many opportunities to work remotely now that it doesn't have to be in that way. I love that. So anybody who's listening right now and is realizing some hard truths, what are like three things that they can do currently right now, like right after they finish this episode that could sort of help them decide whether or not a financial service company like the financial gym would be something that they could invest their money in? Yeah. So um, I tell people if you're ready to do the work and really ready to like, you know, it's kind of like you're getting into a workout program. If you're ready to do the work, then you will get results. So it's all about your return on your investment, right? So you're going to pay money, but if you're going to do the work, you will get the results. We have a money back guarantee and it's six months because we no journeys overnight. But if you don't, if your net worth hasn't increased by the amount you've paid us in that six months, we will literally return your money. The caveat is you have to show up for your meetings and you've got to do, I think it's like two or three exercises. Like, it's not like our exercises, like literally automate your savings, you know, or like cancel that account. You know, there's like pretty basic things. So, you know, we believe so strongly in what we do here in the work we do that we have a guarantee. So if you're willing to do the work, then having the right guidance is going to take you to the next level. Just like having a, a physical trainer, like who's teaching you the best way to do sit-ups or whatever, then you're going to get more results. So you will, but you can also do it on your own. And, and I tell people it doesn't have to cost money. If you feel like you can motivate yourself and your partner or, you know, a family member, you know, need an accountability buddy. We believe in accountability buddies, like have a, a, a buddy that's there with you. You can do it yourself. And, you know, the biggest things I'll tell you is like print out. And I believe in paper, the last three months of transactions you've had wherever they've happened. So bank account, credit card, wherever you spent money, Venmo, I, you know, print out all those statements and review them, like go through every single one. People say they don't know where their money's going. It's there. It's in plain sight. And, you know, kind of look at where your money's going. Are you spending money on subscriptions that you're not using? Like find those kind of things, but also not judging how much you spent, but just saying like, does this feel right? This is about what we spend, you know, and kind of get an estimate. And if it doesn't feel right, then look through those charges and say, what can we cut? Where can we, you know, find room? Where are problem areas? I'm saying in air quotes, problem areas that we can address. Like maybe, you know, I had a, a client who was going to uh, Dwayne Reed, too much Dwayne Reed's a, like a drugstore in New York city. There's like almost one on every block. There's a lot of Dwayne Reed artists. And I was like, why what's happening here? And she's like, well, that's on my way home from work. You know, I pass there and I stop in and I was like, okay, can you find a different way to go home? Like, can we pick a different street? Can we avoid it? And she was like, yeah, you know, I guess so. She literally changed the path of where she was walking and stopped spending money at Dwayne Reed, like instantaneously. So knowing where your money's going is half the bat. Like is asking yourself, is that what brings me joy? Kind of like Marie Kondoing your, you know, your spend areas is like, does that bring me joy? And that's why the exercise of like acknowledging what does bring you joy, what you love is like helpful because if your money's going other places, then, and then, you know, those problem areas and you can kind of avoid them or create workarounds for them. I had a client in her first quarter review was spending a lot of money on shopping. 
she saw, and she, cause we show the transactions to our clients. So she saw a lot of target, a lot of Steimer, a lot of you know, different stores. And she's like, I'm embarrassed. And I was like, why are you embarrassed? Like, it doesn't matter. It, but seeing it was like, she felt shame, you know, and I was like, I wasn't shaming her. And she said, well, here's the deal. She's like, I'm depressed because she's living at home with her sister. She's over 50 divorced, living in her dead parents' home, like not the place she expected her life to be in her fifties. And so she's like, so I get depressed. I go to Starbucks and then I go shopping and I buy something. So retail therapy is real. And I wasn't going to take that away from her. Cause I know we were doing the work to get her out of that, to buy her own place. So I said, okay, I don't want to take this away because I understand the place that it serves for you. But what can we, what are the workarounds? So I was like, maybe you just, when you go to Target, you only have $20 in your pocket or like you set a limit. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, or also how about I have to try on everything before I buy it? Cause she's like, I'll just oh. buy things, go home. It doesn't fit. And then I keep it. Cause I don't want to bring it back. Oh my so I was God, like, okay. Me. Yeah. So I was like, I-, I love it. So this was her financial exercise, right? I wouldn't have picked that Roberta, but I was like, I love, she knew. So I was like, okay, great. So next quarter we meet, right? Send her a pull of her spend report, a lot of DSW. Cause you know why? Shoes. She was always, right? <laughs> yeah. so she, she was, was trying always... them all on. <laughs> she tried them on. So she followed her own rules. So I love it. She followed. I was like, I love this. We're getting closer. And, and her two non-negotiables, the things that she loved are, were live concerts and travel. So I said, okay, great. So then the next quarter, she did amazing. I was like, oh my God, you did amazing. And she was like, well, how did I do? Because she traveled, she visited friends in Nashville and she went to see Tom Patty before he died. And she's like, but I had fun. And I was like, yes, you can have fun because you were focused on the things you love and you you know, got the retail stuff under control. And now she's so funny. I've been with her like six years now. She bought the house. She's like, on her own, doing her own thing. And we talk about how she had to kind of work through that stuff with the, with the shopping. And she said, now when I go to like a TJ Maxx or whatever, I'm like, if I won't pay full price, I'm not going to pay the discounted price. You know, she just has her own like thing and you got to do your thing, but you got to acknowledge if you have problem areas and, and how to work on it. And we always say we're not taking away the things, right? We just want to have them be healthier things. So like, I love, we have clients who are like, oh, you're going to see all their transactions. Well, the cash, the ATM withdrawals, that's my pot. That's my fill in the blank. Usually cash is like some kind of enjoyment in different ways. And we always say, look, I don't care. I really don't care where your money's going. It's your money. As long as it's in the budget, right? So as long as we say, yes, this, we, we spend X hundred dollars a month. Great. We know we're spending it. We're consciously spending it. It brings us joy. I certainly know it does. And then we just make it part of the budget. We're not like, you know, curing all challenges, but it's like, can we just have a, a more, budget friendly or options. So I had clients, they were eating out a lot. And so I was like, okay, how do we cut back on this? So then they went to home and, the, but then they did caviar, which is like, like the higher end seamless or Grubhub still it had more work to do. And I was like, can we cut out the caviar? And then it was like, can we go into the restaurant? You know, cause there's always an upcharge with that, but we're always like working on refining it. And especially the areas that are not non-negotiables for our clients. So like food wasn't their non-negotiable. I have clients who going out is a non-negotiable. They love to go out to eat. It's their thing. And I was like, I'm not taking that away from you, but maybe we need to like, look at these other things differently. Right. I mean, if you have, and we'll just call it a slush, if you have a slush of free cash to spend for your mm-hmm. addictions, dopamine, whatever for that month, it doesn't matter if you're spending it on you know, vices, or if you're spending it on makeup, or if you're spending it on 
fancy restaurants. Like if that's your slush fund, that's your slush fund. That should be your guilt-free. Hey, this is what I can spend. This is what mm-hmm. I budgeted for. This is my spontaneity yeah, that I've set I aside. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to be for. I still can be spontaneous, but I plan to be spontaneous. So when I am spontaneous, I'm not also anxious and freaking out that I yes. can afford it. And then I don't have the worst hangover the next day, the financial hangover of like, Ooh, oh my God, I did it. Another, another great tip for people who are spendies with the shopping. We always help like load up the cart, load up all the things you want to buy and then just pause, walk away and wait till the next day or the day after and see how you feel. And if you still want to get the things in the cart, or sometimes we have clients who do, will do that and just delete it and feel fine. We have clients, we've had to remove their credit card payments to create friction. Cause it's like, it's so easy to spend our money. It is so easy, but it's so hard to earn a dollar now, right? Every dollar we make is a struggle. And so it's so hard to make it, but it's so easy to spend it. And I'm like, we just have to be more mindful of the spending. Cause it's so hard for every dollar we make. So I'm um, creating this kind of like pause or friction and how we're spending is is what we're trying to get our clients to do. Yeah, not take away yeah. the things and certainly not take away the things, the non-negotiables and the things they love. Like we want them to have that all day long, but we're like, you know, the not, top non-negotiables we have at the gym are travel, health and wellness, fur babies, human babies, family. Those are the big ones. And then where people spend their money, because we track where they spend their money, Amazon, some kind of food delivery service and some kind of Dwayne Reed target, you know, fill in the blank retail thing. None of the places that bring them joy. Right. And and that's why they're feeling shame. They're like, Oh, I'm, I'm shame. I'm embarrassed. I went, don't be embarrassed. Like it's not anything to be embarrassed about, but let's acknowledge it. Let's see it as it is and, and have a fix for it. Because it, unless you tell me target is bringing you joy, then it's not where we want our money going all the time. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. Yeah. Like this has been just really informational and fun and educational. Please tell everybody where they can find you and, and the financial gem. And also mm-hmm. because you are a sponsor of the show, and I think the coupon code still works. You yes. guys can save 20% on your first year with mm-hmm. financialgem.com slash MLM. So yes. take advantage of that. If this is something that you're like, um, Yes, you you will they will thank you for it. financialgym.com slash MLM for, for your listeners for the discount code. We're at the financial gym on most um all social channels. I'm um my podcast is called Martinis and Your Money, Living a Better Life One Cocktail at a Time, which you are your show is will air by the time your my show airs, so they should come chat hear you uh wow. on my show. But if they want to hear more money, you know, conversations and pick up some other things for free come get engaged, start speaking Greek. I promise you'll love it. I promise it'll be fun. I promise you'll feel good. Yeah. I've been doing this for 10 years. Like I literally, I have been through, I tell people I've been through, I've been all of our clients. I've like gone through everything I own to build this business. And it it keeps pulling me back in because there's so much work to do, especially for women um, and underserved communities. So I'm motivated to continue that. And it's my mission to make people excited about their money in a healthy way. And people can come and get advice from you and know that you're not going to get them in an MLM because you understand, (laughs) which is another huge thing with creating contacts and networking with people is making sure that the companies and the people that I have on the show are like, you know, are safe, safe, safe spaces, want to work with them and want to, you know, 
improve their financial situation. So yeah, thank you so, so, so much. You are incredible. You. And I'm just so glad that we've become friends and Same. that we get to collaborate on really cool stuff like this. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.